Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. Here's why you should tune in to today's show. Will 2023 be the year of decentralized finance? I'll discuss this live with DeFi guru Mona El Issa. I'm Ash Bennington. Let's jump straight into the latest price action. Yesterday, it was Bitcoin's 14th anniversary. That is the 14th anniversary of the mining of the Bitcoin Genesis block. But there was little fanfare, perhaps not surprisingly, given the headwinds the space currently faces. Bitcoin is trading slightly higher for the day today. It reached $16,900. That's the highest level in more than a week. Meanwhile, Ether is firmly in the green today. ETH is up more than 3.5% in the past 24 hours. It's trading right now at 1,250 US dollars. That's a price we haven't seen since mid-December 2022. Talking of Ether, Grayscale's Ethereum Trust is trading at a record discount right now of nearly 60%. ETHE is just one third the size of GBTC, that's the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, uh, which is Grayscale's investment flagship uh, Bitcoin product. Nonetheless, the massive net asset value on ETHE is worth noting. The total NAV on ETHE, uh, while smaller than Bitcoin, is still quite sizable, about 3.7 billion US dollars. Crypto analysts recently compiled a list of every Grayscale Trust product. Uh, only Chainlink and Filecoin are currently trading at a premium right now. Okay, before I introduce our guest, for those of us you watching on the Real Vision website, thank you. If you haven't signed up yet, check it out at realvision.com forward slash crypto. That's realvision.com forward slash crypto. This is the best way to get early access to all Real Vision content. If you're watching on YouTube, please hit like and subscribe and hit the notification bell. Smash everything in sight. With that said, time to bring in our guest, Mona L. Issa. She's the CEO and founder of Avantgarde Finance and the founder of Enzyme. Welcome back to Real Vision, Mona. Always a pleasure to have you with us on the show. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you too, and thanks for having me. It's great to be back. Well, it's great to have you back. Obviously, it's been an eventful uh, few months here in the crypto space. I want to jump in right now with our top story, uh, and that is, of course, Sam Bankman-Fried's trial is set for October. The former FTX CEO appeared in court yesterday for arraignment. As expected, he pleaded not guilty. Bankman-Fried is facing eight criminal charges, including wire fraud, and money laundering. He was released on a $250 million bond. Uh, it was secured by his parents and unknown, two unknown co-signatories. SBF's lawyer have asked the judge to keep the co-signatory's name anonymous. They argued it's to protect them from public scrutiny and potential harassment. Not surprisingly, this has fanned the flames among conspiracy theorists in the space. Mona, any thoughts? Obviously, the FTX collapse, Sam Bankman-Fried's arrest and arraignment is a massive story. Any thoughts on where we are right now with regard to FTX and the space more broadly? Well, you know, I think I think everybody um, is sad and disappointed about what happened with FTX. It wasn't the first time we saw something like that in 2022. We obviously saw Alameda, we saw Three Arrows Capital, we saw Celsius, we saw 
a bunch of uh, other firms, maybe uh, also a lot of less well-known ones, um, collapse in all really from the same issues. There's a lack of transparency, a lack of ability to um, view transaction data real time. There's a lack of ability for borrowers to be able to uh, assess the health of a company that they're borrowing from. And that's all because of the opacity that we have in CFI and um, especially in crypto CFI. Um, so, you know, what do I think? What do I feel when I see these headlines? I mean, you know, uh, SPF has given DeFi um, a new lifeline, in my opinion. Uh, you know, I think um, it's really hard to convince people why DeFi is so important because generally speaking, CeFi works and it's a little bit faster and it's a little bit easier to use. But uh, he's just now given us a really, really great uh, easy way to explain DeFi to people. If you want an SPF proof future, you know, you should be shifting to DeFi. Um, now, not that DeFi doesn't come with any risks, but um, it certainly can prevent what happened in SBF. With SBF, it can prevent what happened with Celsius. It can prevent what happened, three hours capital and any other, you know, I, 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 I published a blog post back in early 2017 um, about how DeFi and smart contracts could prevent, could have prevented Madoff. So, you know, it, there is no limit to, you know, governing people's behaviors and giving transparency uh, to an industry which desperately needs it. That's what DeFi is all about. And am I uh, am I happy about what happened with FTX? Absolutely not. Uh, but am I happy about the, hopefully the, the questions people will ask around that, how can we prevent that and how can we build a better future? Hopefully that will point people's attention to uh, the direction of DeFi for 2023 and beyond. Okay, so let's unpack all of that. Talk about the functional mechanics uh, that you discussed there. You know, I happen to agree with you uh, broadly that this is really about true decentralization, and that's the goal uh, of the crypto space more broadly. What we've seen in a certain sense is almost an aberration of all of these highly centralized actors uh, behaving effectively uh, like highly unregulated uh, traditional financial uh, shops. But for people who are listening to this and who may be skeptical, uh, even hesitant, uh, thinking that this this framework is just too good to be true, let's talk a little bit about why you believe uh, true decentralization is the future of the space and also what some of the potential risks are uh, as well in decentralization because uh, there is a whole attendant series of other uh, challenges that come with the decentralized ecosystem, particularly as we build out the abstraction layers to support it. Sure, I, I'm curious to hear what you think are the challenges, and we can kind of rebut those one by one. Um, but starting with uh, starting with your the the first point you made, I think um, I think what what FTX collapse has shown us, and some of the other collapses has shown us, is that um, regulation isn't all we need. It's not. Uh, it's actually not that helpful. You know, putting more rules and laws for people to follow is frankly kind of useless if you don't have the transparency to, to regulate them and to enforce those rules. Um, otherwise, you know, people can get away with doing very bad things for very long periods of time and nobody will be able to see that, that, that happening. Uh, you know, FTX was a perfect example of that. It was, uh, uh, it prided itself being regulated. Um, it was very close with all the regulators. SBF in particular was very close with all the regulators. That didn't protect anybody. 
And but Mona, uh, is there a distinction here between FTX.com uh, and FTX US, which is allegedly solvent? Uh, there have been stories, and again, this is very difficult to confirm, the sizing uh, and the scope of losses is still not known within FTX as, as an aggregate, let alone uh, the breakdown individually for those operating units. Uh, but it seems that FTX US uh, benefited to a certain extent from greater regulation, uh, clearly not a panacea, and that FTX.com, the global operating entity, uh, experienced more challenges because uh, they were totally unregulated. So do we do we yet know the answer to that? I think it's probably still an open question. I think it's probably too soon. Um, but I think the broader right. point that I'm making is even if you do have a regulated entity, it's still possible, uh, yes. much easier for these kind of things to happen, um, you know, even with even with regulation around it, because you don't have the transparency, you don't have uh, the real-time verification auditability that you should have or that you would have if you were operating in a DeFi way. So in, in, my, in my humble opinion, I think D the regulators should love DeFi, like should absolutely embrace it and love it because it gives them the transparency right. which they can then enforce. They can, they can you know, oversee and enforce without even having necessarily to put on more layers and layers of, of rules on, but actually what they really need, what they desperately need is visibility and the look through into bad behaviors. Yeah, I totally agree with you, obviously, about the uh, benefits of transparency, specifically uh, some of the opportunities that a truly transparent, uh, trustless system could provide. Um, but you did sort of tee me up there when you asked what some of those challenges might be uh, for DeFi. And I think that there are there are manifold challenges, and I'll just, I'll just, yeah. <laughs> let's do it. Let's run through my list. Um, so, you know, there, there are probably a few different categories here. Uh, one that we experienced a, a great deal of in 2022, uh, just to begin with, sort of at random here in terms of the sequence, uh, was the challenges that we experienced uh, with hacks in the space. Uh, obviously, it is very difficult uh, to have code that has been uh, sort of thoroughly vetted at the, when the incentives for finding exploits in the code are so great in the form of the ability to expropriate money uh, from the system. Obviously, this is something of a work in progress, things like bug bounties, uh, figuring out ways of using uh, open source uh, software bug reporting protocols uh, to secure the system. But what are your thoughts about the potential security challenges uh, from a computer science perspective? Yeah, so first of all, I want to say uh, with a very big disclaimer, not, not all DeFi is good and not all DeFi or not all projects that claim they're DeFi are good, right? Or, or, or sometimes they're not even DeFi. Um, you know, it's a big buzzword and people like to jump on the buzzword and you've got to be really careful and do your own research in terms of figuring out which protocols um, actually, uh, you know, uh, withhold the promises that they, they make or the, the, the claims that they make. I think... Um, I think for me, the comeback of DeFi in 2023 uh, or beyond whenever it happens, probably 2023, is going to be about the protocols that have been around um, now for three, four, five years that have shown a robustness in the face of uh, markets, uh, bear markets and um, bull markets and disasters, you know, like the F like FTX, like Alameda. You know, great examples are none of you know none of the Aave, hardly any of the Ave compound loans have defaulted because the smart contracts enforce uh, the collateral, the payment mechanisms, etc. The all the all the other behaviors. We we have now probably a dozen or so protocols which have which are coming up to four or five year track records of being battle tested, no hacks or at least no severe loss of funds. 
um, audit, you know, regularly audited. And I, I mean, not just like once a year or once every major release, but every time a new piece of code is pushed, um, it is audited. Um, bug, bug, bug bounty problem uh, programs that have been on mainnet for several years. Um, and, you know, I, when I think about the future of DeFi, I think now it's becoming harder and harder to compete as a DeFi protocol, because if you don't have that multi-year track record, it's very difficult to get uh, get people's trust. I think um, another another thing that, you know, we talk about the DeFi comeback, but DeFi has already had a DeFi summer, as some people refer to it back in 2019, 2020. Um, that DeFi summer was something that really upset me, actually, because that was all about how much yield we could get and not about how good is the tech, what are the benefits of the technologies, what are the risks of the technologies. For me, the major benefits are you know, we're looking at transparency, we're looking at the automation of risk management, we're looking at trustless reporting. You don't need to trust a third party person, auditor, SBF, or anybody to understand what the what what you know what the NAV, what the what the valuation of a certain protocol is. You can use things like subgraph technology, you can use things like chain link oracles, um, and you don't have to trust human beings, you have to trust decentralized code, which is much easier to buy into. And this is the infrastructure that I think that the future of crypto asset management will be built on. Um, I think that hopefully the next bull market we get in DeFi will be a much, much healthier one, hopefully not driven so much by which protocol is offering me the best yield, but right. rather but rather which protocol is battle tested, which is which protocols are battle tested and are going to help me solve the problems I need to, to solve in my day to day asset management, market making business, whatever you are. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick pause and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. How do you think about what that trajectory looks like to stabilizing these code bases? I mean, obviously uh, in 2022 uh, and before we saw a significant number of hacks in different categories, uh, Oracle manipulation, reentrancy attacks, uh, smart contract logic bridge errors being a very common one, uh, Nomad bridge, Horizon bridge, wormhole bridge, uh, governance challenges, things like the Beanstalk Farms attack, uh, yeah. Ronin network. Uh, I mean, there've been a lot of these attacks uh, in the space, then this is just on the computer science uh, side. Again, I'm 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 incredibly bullish on the space, and it's something that I think is uh, going to be the, yeah. the technology and the framework for the future. But we also have to be uh, at least understand yeah. so, it and figure out what those challenges are. So, like I said, you know, like a lot of protocols did get hacked on those kind of uh, attack vectors, but a lot, uh, like a handful of them didn't. You know, and no. Coinbase is where it is today in 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 kind of. Uh, uh, as an exchange, as a custodian, because it's never been hacked, whereas many other crypto custodians and exchanges have been hacked. Um, and so I think it's the same, you know, it's the same philosophy with DeFi protocols, you know, as they build longer and longer track records, um, those will be the, the sort of leading protocols of the future. In my, you know, that, that's, that's kind of how I see it. Um, 
I mean, of course, Coinbase is is highly regulated. They're a you know they're a U.S. based company. They're U.S. regulated. Yeah, they have U.S. Sure, persons. We're talking about the tech now, right? We're talking right. about the fact that you know. Let's not forget that you know in CFI, CFI had a head start to DeFi in crypto by by a few years because smart contracts weren't a thing um, until 2000. I don't remember the exact date, but 15, 16, um, and they certainly were in a very very immature. Uh, state at right. that, you know, so, so, you know, the, building out custodial infrastructure and centralized exchange infrastructure with Bitcoin was a much easier first step. Um, and so it's normal that CFI is sort of ahead of the game and like sort of a little bit more prominent than DeFi is today. But if you look at what, um, you know, uh, uh, DEX to decentralized exchange to centralized exchange volumes have been doing, um, you know, I bet, you know, where would you guess they are today um, as a as a percent, like, where do you think decentralized exchange volumes are as a percentage of centralized exchange volumes? Take well, it's I mean, it's risen dramatically because you've seen the decline of the numerator and the rise of the denominator simultaneously. So on a percentage basis, it's certainly higher than it was at any point in this yeah, uh, cycle. Volumes are down across the board, but I think it's like, I think it's a very bullish sign that, you know, DEX volume to sex volume is basically... Um, back to all-time highs, it's around 15%. And I think that's a really telling sign. People want to be in um, control of their own assets. People people are starting to realize the importance of self-custody. Um, and people are, um, they, you know, they, they're, they're burnt by what's happened in the last few months. So I think there is an openness to rethinking in a business that previously maybe was scared because of smart contract hack risk or Oracle price risk or any of those types. Now they're in a stage where we're thinking, hang on, some of these protocols have been around for four or five years now and they haven't been hacked and then maybe we should reassess internally. Maybe we should think about diversification a little bit differently rather than diversifying across, you know, Coinbase and Binance. Maybe we should be diversifying versus, you know, CFI and DeFi. Hey, talking of which, I wanted to move on to our next story about Binance here. Uh, according to a report from Crypto Compare cited by Coindesk, Binance significantly increased its market share in 2022. The biggest crypto exchange commanded nearly 67% of the centralized exchange market volume in December, which, as you said, is about is uh, upward of 80% of the total aggregate volume of the space. I guess this may make sense given what's happened uh, to their competitors in the space. Uh, this despite a 45% slump in spot trading volume on Binance last year. So again, the total number still declining uh, in terms of the aggregate. So relative trade volumes have increased compared to their competitors, while absolute trade volumes have been in steep decline. <clears throat> Excuse me. So all in trading volume on centralized exchanges fell 46% in 2022. Mona, I imagine this is probably consistent with your thesis. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I, um, you know, like you said, you know, they they have fewer and fewer competitors, so that doesn't surprise me from in terms of losing or gaining market share. Um, and it, what I thought, what I find more fascinating is the fact that you know decentralized exchange volume is taking a larger share from centralized exchange market. You know, right. and and that's that for me. That's a that's a lot more. That's a that's a much more important sign. I think. I think that people are starting to realize that diversification is really between self-custodial and custodial solutions, not between centralized exchange A and centralized exchange B. Right. Yeah. And again, I, I broadly agree with that. 
hypothesis. But I want to continue walking through some of the potential risks in this space uh, in terms of the inventory of concerns that I have in my head. Uh, another category here would be just general UI, UX type issues, key management issues. We know that there are obviously stories of people losing uh, their keys to Bitcoin and Ethereum and other uh, decentralized protocols. Uh, I guess you could say add to this the idea that these are, you know, effectively, uh, if you're thinking about this in traditional finance terms, they're essentially irrevocable gross settlement uh, mechanisms uh, and the challenges for individuals who are not familiar, people who don't have master's degrees in computer science, who don't have the experience to custody their own keys. How do you think about that? Are we in a period right now where we're going to see new layers of software built to simplify uh, that experience and to create greater security around decentralization? Yeah, I mean, I think we're already seeing it. I think if you look at certain wallet providers, like Argent is a great example. You know, you now have the ability to set up a, a, a wallet and, and, and embed a key recovery mechanism for that wallet. So you don't need to be the most um, technologically, you know, scientific person to set up a, a wallet, but you can actually have what feels like a much more user-friendly experience. Uh, another idea is, you know, a lot of people do this even when they're managing their own money, uh, setting up a multi-sig with a two of five or two of four um, multi-sig threshold so that if something does happen to your key and or your key gets compromised. Explain what that means for people who aren't familiar with multi-sig technology, Mona. Yeah, so multi-sig technology is based or um, is, is basically um, when you require... Um, you basically uh, have a wallet where you require uh, you, you you can you can decide through your settings how many signatures you require to pass a certain transaction. So uh, you and I um, and two of our friends could have a multi-sig, and we could say that um, you know pe people that you really trust, maybe family members, and you could say that in order to pass a single transaction, we need two signatures out of four to be able to pass it. Which means that if I lose my key, uh, as long as two out of the three of you still have a key, we can still right. pass transactions or save the funds. And I think that that's um, something that even individuals are uh, looking much more towards using now for their own assets. Because right. also, what if something were to happen to you if you were to drop dead tomorrow? Um, you know, I'd, I'd, I'm willing to bet most people, you know, myself included, probably don't have like a written description of how to retrieve my crypto funds if something happens to me. Right. Yeah, and I think we're thinking about this in very similar ways. In in my view, ultimately, this uh, ability to do these uh, decentralized logic is the is the solution to this. Multi-sig wallets. Uh, there are all kinds of novel and innovative solutions that I've I've read about. Things like uh, inherent time delays, where you have to have a two out of five, uh, but you have certain time delays that that are built into the system. But again, these are just uh, the types of uh, kind of abstraction layers in the software that are being built up now. Do you have a sense uh, in your mind of what the time horizon will be on this before true decentralized finance is really ready for prime time? Um, yeah, I think it will be. I think it will be little steps. I mean, I don't think that it's going to happen overnight. But I think um, you know, sometimes in our world, it feels like things are moving very slowly. Um, in the right. sense that, in the sense that you know, it 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 takes a long time to solve complicated technical problems. Um, but then I but then I look back where we were a year ago, where we were two years ago, where we were three years ago, and I'm amazed at how much progress the industry has managed to um, accomplish. And I think that that that's like that's the bigger indicator, really. Like look at where DeFi was two years ago, three years ago, four years ago is probably non-existent. Um, you know, and and just see how much easier and how more interesting the protocols are becoming year on year and the tooling 
around them. And I think that's what the bigger indicator is. All right, Mona, we've reached my final category of risk on uh, decentralization, uh, which is the legal regulatory compliance uh, front. Obviously, there are lots of different subcategories here, each of which presents its own unique array of challenges. AML, KYC, anti-money laundering, know your client. Uh, OFAC, this is the Office of Foreign Asset Control in the United States, the primary sanctions regulator here. Uh, securities laws, stablecoin regulation. We have effectively a peg problem back and forth to fiat. We must all remit our taxes uh, in fiat uh, to uh, a government at the end of the year. Uh, and finally, uh, kind of a related point to all of this, though separate and distinct, uh, the challenge of independent central banks, uh, which control the money supply in Western democracies uh, and therefore have the ability to manage key macroeconomic variables, specifically uh, unemployment uh, and inflation. Uh, this potentially has a, a risk or at least a, a potential conflict there with, with the way central banks see their role in the system. How do these things get sorted out? These are kind of the, the issues about how a decentralized world aligns uh, with the current nation state model that, you know, we've we've been in here since like the Treaty of Westphalia. Those are pretty material uh, kind of uh, legacy challenges to overcome. Well, wow, that's a lot of regulatory <laughs> concerns to address in one go. But um, I would say that I think um, I, I think that, uh, you know, we're uh, avant-garde finance uh, is, a, is a great example of um, a company that's trying to bridge the gap between uh, DeFi and compliant products. And we've looked at a lot of tooling um, that involves things like um, some of the problems that you touched on. So uh, how do we think about KYC AML risk when, um, when launching DeFi products for institutional grade clients? And you'd be surprised at some of the tooling that already exists. You know, there are certain wallets that embed um, AML technology inside them and that can flag up a pool, a liquidity pool, a DeFi liquidity pool, um, and, and give you a warning if it's got, you know, sort of a high risk or uh, low risk attached to it. And, um, and I think these kind of tools are um, extremely important going forward um, if we want to sort of bridge that gap between um, you know, DeFi and TradFi and CFI. You know, one of the challenges in, in sort of in this particular domain or subset uh, of challenges to the DeFi space, which I obviously am very passionate about, uh, is this notion that these are not purely technological problems, uh, that there are solutions out there that could, for example, uh, you know, do things uh, around AML, KYC. But some of these are sort of core philosophical challenges in the space in terms of the ethos of the space. If you go up to the Ethereum website, for example, uh, and you command F for censorship resistance and credible neutrality, uh, those two phrases are incredibly important in the ethos of the system. And I'm not, I'm not taking a perspective here in terms of right and wrong. I'm just pointing out that in many ways, the, the core ethos that's so important to people in the Ethereum ecosystem in many ways uh, is very much at odds uh, with the existing regulatory uh, and legal framework uh, for the way the traditional financial system operates. Again, not taking a moral position one way or the other, just pointing out that there is clearly this clash. And so the challenge on that front isn't simply a technical challenge of figuring out how you can, uh, for example, uh, elegantly from a technological perspective, uh, you know, ferret out AML, KYC, OFAC issues, but really finding a solution that both nation states uh, and uh, supranational organizations on the one hand and the, and the core uh, sort of constituent uh, people in the space can agree upon. That's a challenge, isn't it? Well, I think it's going to have to be a compromise. And I think, you know, if, uh, uh, you know, I think that something that we learned in 2022 is something that is not compromisable is, um, you know, the, the tornado cash 
uh, you know, kind of being able to hide your identity is something that uh, law enforcement sees as unacceptable. Whether you agree right. with that or not, I personally disagree with that. I think it's it's very sad to see, but it's it's uh, you know they showed very quickly how they can um, block a bunch of people involved in such an you know such an activity with very little effort on their side. And I think um, on the flip side, you're seeing, um, you know, a lot of the other benefits being endorsed. So things like, you know, the fact that you can technologically regulate with smart contracts, the fact that you have transparency, the fact that you can automate um, certain behavior, automate and enforce and certain behaviors like risk management programmatically. I think those are all very much endorsed by um, by regulators, by law enforcement, by yeah. you know, people. And I think. I think at some point, you know, those the the sort of there's going to have to be, you know, you can't have two idealists on either side. At, at some right. point, you have to meet in the middle, and um, and if they don't, someone else will. You know, like you know, if 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 um, yeah, if people are not willing to make those compromises, I think other people will. Hey everyone, we're going to take another quick break and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back to the Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. But one of the interesting things that happened, obviously, uh, in 2022 uh, was the transition of Ethereum uh, from proof of work to proof of stake. We often talk about technology being the solution, but here, uh, in a certain sense, the, the the challenges have been highlighted by the improvements in technology. And I'll, I'll just give you a brief example and a framework. Obviously, when we talk about Ethereum uh, and Ethereum staking, uh, which is now the method uh, that is used to secure the network in terms of proof of stake, uh, you know, we have this situation where you have publicly traded companies run and regulated example in the United States, US persons, US individuals, uh, and you have this idea of credible neutrality and censorship resistance. So if there is a transaction that can be traced to a wallet that belongs to someone, for example, on the OFAC list, uh, what happens when you have one of these publicly traded companies uh, run by US persons, US directors, US managers who are directing that company and they have to make a decision, do they include or exclude that transaction? It becomes a binary proposition. Uh, and if you exclude a transaction, you get slashed, uh, meaning that the network begins to deteriorate the value of your stake. I mean, this really does bring to the forefront the challenges that the improvements in technology uh, in the space create. Absolutely. It's going to be very interesting to watch what happens. I, um, yeah, I think, you know, so far the companies that we have seen engage in staking activity, I think, uh, hold these values, hold the, hold the core Ethereum values very close to their heart. So I think, um, you know, we'll, We'll see how things pan out, but I think. But they've got they've got shareholders, right? And they've got directors who are who are in many cases U.S. persons. Uh, they've got yeah. managers who are U.S. persons, and they are not going to uh, violate U.S. Treasury policy uh, and and incur potentially criminal penalties by including uh, OFAC sanctioned transactions. Yeah, I guess it's I, I guess it's a, um, it's a it's a key topic. It's a key topic, and it's something that could you know impact the security of the network as well. Um, yeah. You know, I think I think some. You know, I'm I'm 
I'm sure people who are <laughs> following this much closer than I are are, are um, thinking about that and working with um, working on ways to solve that, those problems. But I, I'd imagine that um, I'd imagine that I'd be very surprised if the Ethereum Foundation themselves weren't um, lobbying very hard and working very closely with the key stakeholders in order to make sure that um, these kind of things wouldn't um, wouldn't compromise the network. When you say key st stakeholders, are you talking here about law enforcement le and legislators? Or are you talking about the the people in the community who are maintaining that roadmap and developing the, the code? Yeah, or the community and the lobby, you know, the lobby organizations around them, you know, players like Coin Center and um, uh, what is it called, the Blockchain Association in the United States. Yep. I, think. Um, I think they, you know, they have some very, very key stakeholders from the Ethereum Foundation. They're supported um, by a lot of the Ethereum community. And I'm Another another blockchain is not just Ethereum, which all ha will have the same problems potentially yeah. um, when it comes to staking. So I think that there's uh, there's a lot of um, momentum and support behind solving these kind of problems. And um, let's just hope that uh, that pays off before one of these problems you highlighted becomes a reality. Yeah, and I think that's right. I mean, I just mentioned Ethereum. Obviously, there are lots of other uh, protocols out there. Ethereum, just because it's the the largest uh, you know smart contract execution platform in the world right now, and obviously, it seems like to be on the leading edge or the vanguard of what some of these challenges and also opportunities might be. Uh, one more story talking about Ethereum. Uh, it was a record year for ENS. That's the Ethereum name service. ENS is a decentralized domain naming protocol that runs on the Ethereum network. Uh, the record probably makes sense given that ENS's coin drop happened late in 2021, I think November of 2021, uh, meaning 2022 would be the first year, uh, the full first full year, I should say, uh, for ENS post coin drop. You can think of ENS as a personal username on the blockchain, specifically on Ethereum. It allows people to register names for wallet addresses instead of the default complicated lines of letters and numbers, those alpha characters that are so hard for humans to read. Uh, ENS says there were 2.2 million registrations in 2022. That's 80% of all registrations since the service launched in 2017. Full disclosure, I received coins during the coin drop uh, after reserving the name uh, ashbennington.eth. Mona, uh, talk a little bit about this because this is kind of uh, congruent with the stories that we were talking about earlier in the, the thesis of building up abstraction layers to make the space easier. The idea that it's much easier to remember ashbennington.eth uh, than it is uh, to, for example, enter a very long string of alphanumeric characters. How do you think about a story like this? It doesn't surprise me. I think ENS are just, you know, trailblazing. They're, they're, you know, they're doing so well. I don't know anyone at this stage in Web3 who doesn't have at least, you know, five different ENS names. Um, and I think um, I, I don't see a future where, you know, we or I hope we don't have a future where we have to remember everyone's public key. Um, it's much, much easier when you're sending money to people, sending transactions to people to have an ENS domain. And I'm, I'm I'm happy to see them doing so well. These guys, you know, really, um, you know, an example of a protocol that's been around for four or five years. They've lived through the the bull markets, the bear markets, really tough times before they had any funding. And um, and what's really interesting about those numbers that you just mentioned is, you know, that 2.2 million ENS domains. I think that's bringing them in something like 1,200 ETH a month. So that's probably what um, annualizing at 15 to 20 million dollars of ENS revenue per year, um, and I think that's in ETH terms. So that's you know potentially got a lot more upside if we think this is the bottom. 
I think those are, you know, those are amazing numbers. Like when you look at, you know, how many other protocols can you name that are bringing in that kind of um, revenue? It just shows that, um, you know, they've they found the right product market fit. They've released something that people really want and need. And um, yeah, I think it's great for for the industry. What an incredible conversation here today. I really appreciate your directness and your candor and the invitation to walk through uh, some of the, the skepticism uh, and hesitancy that people have around this space. But given this conversation, wide ranging, very deep in terms of the, the context that we dug through, final thoughts, key takeaways that you'd like to leave our audience with? Well, key takeaways. I mean, I just think, you know, um, I think um, I think for me, 2022, the thing that has has shocked me the most is not that SBF happened, the fact that it's more just like how much people idolized, you know, um, and looked up to a person like SBF when there was so little, you know, behind, you know, material transparency uh, behind the scenes. I just think that the main takeaways for me um, you know, our, I've overheard recently in conferences, people were so shocked because they always looked up to and envied SBF. And I think, well, how how did we get to a how did we get to a stage where um, people idolize these you know pick out these people and idolize them in such a strong way that they can never do no wrong? Um, I think I think you know the take the main takeaway for me is is really. The technology doesn't lie, um, whereas people do lie, people do make mistakes, people do. And that's, uh, for me, the the strongest takeaway that I, I can think of for 2022 and 2023 for me is uh, cementing the fact that, you know, because of that, we need more DeFi, um, not less of it. Um, and we need to really work harder as builders to make it easier to use to solve some of the challenges you highlighted. There are probably others, um, and I'm sure that the DeFi uh, community of builders will work uh, even harder than they have as, as long as they can for the next, you know, two, three, four, five years to make that a reality. Uh, Mona, that's extremely well said, and I think that's spot on. The, the promise of this space is about putting faith in math and physics uh, in the immutable properties of uh, to sort of empirical science rather than uh, in human beings, and human beings, as we know, are all fallible. Uh, so I think that's exactly right. You know, my key takeaway is I, I'm, you know, broadly in agreement with you about the future of decentralization. You know, for me, the question that I have that really sort of feels very much open is just how far we are down this path. I think there are, you know, major material challenges. Like we highlighted that outline uh, throughout this conversation. And the question is uh, how far and how long it takes us to walk that path. And of course, uh, you know, one of the interesting things about, about crypto in general uh, and DeFi specifically is that essentially it has the ability to bring liquidity to all of these assets immediately. And so you can have technologies uh, that uh, are incredibly, incredibly promising as I think decentralization is, uh, and you can have simultaneously uh, the price get out of alignment with the true fundamental value and figuring out how you price that risk and how you price the time value uh, of essentially what are almost de facto uh, equity positions uh, in the sense that it allows participation. I know that equity is probably not the right word to use here in terms of the, the legal structure, but it does allow you to have effectively unlimited upside by owning the tokens. You know, how you price that, uh, that is a philosophical question that I just don't think the space has answered yet. Absolutely. Wonderful to have you. I hope we'll come back again and do this soon. I look forward to it. Thanks for having me on the show again.
Thank you for joining us. That's it for today. If you're not a subscriber yet, don't forget to subscribe. Real Vision Crypto is free. For those of you watching on YouTube, remember to subscribe and hit the notification bell so you can stay up to date with the latest crypto analysis. Join us again tomorrow. Imran Laka will be here with us live to provide insights on the trends and trading patterns he's looking at in 2023. See you at noon Eastern, 5 p.m. London, live on Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. Have a great day, everybody.